Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Hello and welcome to Geek Scholars Movie News, your source for form headlines, previews, and reviews, all in glorious podcast form, and brought to you by LRM Online. I'm Fox, and with me virtually, we have Chris. Hey there, everybody. It's good to be back. And Jill. Hello, everyone. In this week's episode, number 380, we have... A Spider-Man title. (laughs) (laughs) And yet another attempt to remake The Wizard of Oz. But we begin with awards. We usually say it's in December, but it is award season in spring. Award season! <laughs> and the first, one of the first major film awards were bestowed the other evening by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. But things are a little bit different this year. And in full disclosure, it's been far more challenging to see all the nominations. So in a little bit of a change of pace, the Geek Scholars are going to be somewhat audience surrogates. I'll be asking them how these awards have perhaps changed their perceptions of particular movies. So let's begin with Best Motion Picture Drama. The nominees were The Father, Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Women, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. The winner was Nomadland. Chris, given who won this top honor, how does it change your consideration of the movie, if at all? Uh, so right before the awards, Fox texted me and he said, hey, Chris, I know you haven't seen like any of these movies, <laughs> but who do you think is going to win? And I said, I think it's going to be Nomadland because I heard they're passing out the best bribes. And wouldn't you know it, Nomadland walks away with the prize. Uh, they've been handing out swag bags left and right. Uh, but, you know. The, the persuadable Hollywood foreign press certainly could have picked uh, <laughs> could have picked work, worse options. As far as how this affects like my decision to see this movie in a hurry or not, uh, almost everyone I've talked to who has seen this movie has uh, failed to describe it as uh, fun or lighthearted <laughs> or easygoing <laughs> or a romp. So this is kind of no. moved toward the back of my list. Not to say it's a bad movie. I certainly love Frances McDormand, uh, and I think she she gives an excellent performance in, in this from from what I hear. But uh, a, a little bit of a uh, uh, a slow roller, uh, a pensive movie, and frankly, I don't want to be left alone with my thoughts through like a two and a half minute, uh, you know, long view of the landscape. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right, Jill, what are your thoughts? You know, this might be one of those times where learning more about a movie could make it more interesting. So, mm-hmm. you know, the more folks talk about Nomadland, the more you hear um, a little bit about the production, which was. A really small group of group of people. I think they had like twenty five people on set. You know, Frances McDormand, McDormand lived out of her van for a huge amount of the time to sort of really feel like she got into character. A lot of the people who are in the movie aren't um, 
you know, what you would think of traditionally as actors, but people who, you know, live in the community that they were filming in. And I think all of that makes the movie more interesting. Now, maybe that's a problem if you have to be educated about a movie before it before you like it. But also, I feel like knowing a little bit about it going in might make for something that's a little bit, uh, I don't know, that holds your attention a little bit more. I think that's fair. As the one person who actually has seen the film, I can agree with all of this commentary that it is, I would say deliberate is probably the nicest word I could use, that it is very uh, thoughtful in how it frames its shots. And it is trying to slow you down, the audience, and appreciate this culture and understand what's you know important to these individuals as well as you know let you bask in the majesty of these landscapes, which is gorgeous. You do get a lot of these really sweeping shots of mountains and sunsets and deserts and all these really exotic locales. However, all that said, you know, we are discussing this film because it now gets put into the front runner status for best picture at the Oscars or the Academy Awards, which will be in early April. And I'm going to get a little bit on a soapbox here and, and say that, you know, when I think about the best picture of a, of a particular year, and let's put aside for a moment that I think it's problematic when you try to lump everything together into one category and pick an ultimate winner, this is not a film that I think people will be talking about or seeing two, three, five, 20 years out. And that's how I like to think about a best picture nominee, if not winner, is something that is going to change the landscape of cinema in such a way that new people coming to the film, when they say they haven't seen it, you say, you got to stop everything. You got to see that. I have a hard time saying that about this film. Um, I'm not surprised it won. And I think it now will win the best uh, picture award at the Oscars. But I agree with everything you're saying that you probably need to know a little bit more about it to appreciate it. And, but even then to Chris's point, I don't know that it does anything spectacular that makes it memorable. Fox, I'm curious. I mean, do you feel like there were any nominees to the Golden Globes this year who really stand that test of time? Who, you know, a, f- a film that people will be talking about five years, ten years from now? I do. Because it's a weird year, right? I mean, <laughs> it's 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 odd what came out and didn't come out this year. Yes, it is a weird year. I think there are two, if not three, films that will um, that were nominated in various categories that will be spoken about in years to come. And that is The Trial of the Chicago 7, and similarly, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, as well as um, One Night in Miami. And the thing that the three of those films have is an educational component to them. So when people want to learn a little bit more about those events in the history, uh, particularly around the civil rights movement, which all three of those films sort of take an angle towards, I do believe that watching them back to back to back is a way of getting a nice perspective on those events. And that's a good reason to say, hey, if you haven't seen it, you really should because the performances were dynamic, the writing was top-notch, the directing was excellent. And I think, they, again, they sort of help educate individuals about those events. All right. On that note, um, let's talk a little bit about the other major category, which is Best Motion Picture, Comedy, or Musical. The nominees were Borat, Subsequent Movie Film, Hamilton, Music, Palm Springs, and The Prom, the winner being Borat 2, or Borat, Subsequent Movie Film. Joe, you've seen most of these, so what are your thoughts on the win? It was what I expected, but maybe not what I would have picked personally. Mm-hmm. Um Sasha Baron is really talented. Um, but the way that his Borat movies come together, it's a it's a little bit 
like stitched together improv or sketch <laughs> comedy. You know what I mean? It. I don't ever find them terribly cohesive. Although I thought this one was much more cohesive than the last one that he that he did. Um, I feel like this might be a little bit a case of what does an international audience think the most interesting movie that came out of the U.S. Certainly. is? Because this is certainly a movie that pokes fun a little bit at U.S. culture. I'm, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that may be a piece of it. If you had to ask me what what movie I thought was the best put together in terms of acting and story and um, music and all of those things, I, I probably would have picked Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a little bit more cohesive film than um, the Borat movie. But I, I mean, I enjoyed both. I think that's fair. Chris, I'm going to sprinkle in some of my thoughts here, and then I'll turn it over to you to hear your thoughts about whether or not you're going to add this to your queue. But essentially, I would agree with what Jill said. I actually do think this is a stronger film than the first Borat movie. Uh, I think that Sacha Baron Cohen's level of thoughtfulness in this may surprise people. He really did put a lot of... um, I would say uh, interesting perspectives together or interesting commentary and then found a way to sort of accentuate that through these things he manufactured, these experiences, these interactions, et cetera. And I, I, I laughed a lot and I also thought it was an interesting reflection on certain aspects of American culture that I appreciated. Um, I would watch this again at some point in the future. Again, I think it's an interesting microcosm of the time. It's almost like it's its own little time capsule. Um, and it's probably the best way to enjoy those uncomfortable bits, uh, you know, through that lens of comedy. So I, I would endorse it. I don't know if it's the best comedy or musical of the year, but I'm okay with this win. Chris, what do you think? I enjoyed the first, you know, Borat movie. It is super awkward. It is super cringy. And I <laughs> don't really, that is not my jam as far as humor goes, but, but it was enjoyable. And I think it was gearing up to be ready to, to sit down and, and enjoy the second one. But all the clips that came out felt like, um, it was just like the incredibly awkward, terrible, uh, Rudy Giuliani stuff. And I was just like, man, I, this is not really what I want to sit down and do with, you know, an, an experience in my in my downtime right now. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, Fox, you, you, you're saying that you think it's better than the first one. You think there's there's more clever, you know, sort of commentary, that kind of subtle humor rather than just sort of slapsticky or mega awkward kinds of kinds of stuff. So that that is a selling point. And, and maybe I was sort of turned off by the the newsy elements more than the sort of, you know, actual comedy of it. So maybe this is what I'll come back and and give another chance to even uh, – even despite the the awful, awkward, creepy stuff that I know I'm going to find in there a little bit. You, you uh, will. It's more cohesive, okay. actually, which I think helps. It has a point. It has a very – like it's not just Borat coming to America and exploiting what there's some ridiculousness in our culture. It is that but with a more centralized um, thoroughfare and message. So I thought that was – that helped yeah. it, the narrative overall. Let's talk a little bit now about the performers who talk home the top honors. So we already just discussed this, but a good launching off point. Sasha Baron Cohen in Borat, subsequent movie film. Rosamund Pike in I Care A Lot. Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Andre Day in the United States versus Billie Holiday. Jill, any initial takeaways? Looking at the winners for in the Best Actor and Actress category, it always makes me excited to try out those films. You know, there's a couple of those that I haven't seen that I've been interested in, but I think this will maybe push me a little bit further. Um, I haven't seen I Care a lot, but I've seen the trailer a couple of times, and Rosamund Pike looks excellent as this uh, as a villain 
she's like a woman who's trying to be a legal guardian to folks as they get older, but she's clearly taking advantage of all of them. And uh, she comes across an older woman who is maybe maybe she bites off more than she can chew. It just <laughs> looks really interesting. And it looks like a movie that kind of plays with expectations. And so I'm really excited to see that. You know, Fox, you've been telling me for a long time that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is really worth seeing. And I, I really do want to see Chadwick Boseman's performance in that. Chris, your thoughts? I, I agree with Jill. I mean, the, these uh, movies, particularly Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and, and United States versus Billy Holiday, look uh, incredibly interesting to me. And I'm glad that they got these these kind of this kind of recognition, I think it will cause more people to go out and, and, and search them out. And I'm, you know, especially pleased that these, you know, incredibly strong performances from people of color are being acknowledged by the Hollywood Forward and Press Association, which has no black members. But, you know, uh, what you going to do other than reform the organization? That would be that would be great. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I agree. Um, I think the biggest surprise is Andre Day um, beating out Frances McDormand in No Man Land. Uh, that was sort of yeah. everyone thought that she was going to win. She did not. It'll be interesting to see if that trend continues over the Oscars. But um, overall, I think decent picks for these for these categories. Again, as we both all have said, especially Chadwick Boseman. Um, let's talk now a little bit about the winner for Best Director. Uh, the nominees were Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, David Fincher for Mank. Regina King for One Night in Miami, Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of the Chicago 7, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. The winner was Chloe Zhao. Chris, how does this win affect the race for Oscar and, again, your personal interest in this movie as well as her future work? Chloe Zhao is uh, a distinct new talent uh, on on the scene, and it's amazing to see her getting these uh, nominations with sort of just a few movies under her belt. She's somebody who works in a in a very indie, very small budget uh, space and tells very intimate kind of um, character driven stories. No Man Land is one. Another one is is The Writer, a movie which came out a couple years ago and got um, some acclaim, but I feel like it's a movie that not a lot of people have have really have really watched, and I might commend them to, to do so. Um, it's a you know it's a big deal. Chloe Zhao being a a woman of color nominated in this space to to take away the win. Uh, she would be the first woman of color, you know, if she wins the Oscar to to get that award as well, which would be uh, a big deal. Um, so I, I think it's really great. And they're also you know like you like you said several. Names in here worth noting. Uh, Aaron Sorkin uh, with Trial of Chicago 7. You know, Sorkin's going to Sorkin. <laughs> it's very entertaining. I think, you know, people can quibble about, uh, you know, how accurate the history is that's portrayed in that movie. Uh, One Night in Miami from Regina King is at least a little more honest that it, it's it's <laughs> a made-up story about, you know, this set of people who happen to be in the same place at the, at the same time. But it's really cool to see Regina King um, get nominated for, for director. This is her directorial debut, debut I believe. She's is, been an, yes. an actress for a long time, and I have enjoyed her in a ton of roles going back, I mean, well more than 10 years. So so what a huge triumph here from her. I can't wait to see what comes from her next. Uh, I agree with all that. I want to go back to Zhao real quick and, and add one piece of interesting, I don't want to say trivia, but um, for those of you who are unaware, her next project is Marvel's The Eternals. Um, this has been That's delayed right. a couple of times, but talk about a jump, right? You get the writer and then Nomadland, and then suddenly you're on the big MCU stage. Um, so I clearly Feige and the rest of the Marvel team see a lot of potential in her. And the early reports from the Marvel team is that they are thrilled that she, they, she sort of found a way to combine the intimacy she's had with these other projects with this grandiose adventure about basically gods within the Marvel, yeah. the Marvel Universe. So I'm very curious to see how that comes together. It makes me more excited to see exactly what magic she was able to impart on that those stories. Jill, anything you want to add as we close out talking about Best Director? Um, you know, 
I, I thought her accepted speech was really interesting. She talks a little bit about her vision for the movie and how she really tried to bring people um, on a journey. Um, I think she called it even a pilgrimage through grief and healing. Mm-hmm. And I think the way that she sees this movie in her mind, it, you can really see how her vision came through in the film. And that is... I don't know. This feels like one of those times where um, this movie really deserved this particular award. Do you know what I mean? Hmm. I don't know that I would have necessarily picked it for be- for best drama overall, but I think in terms of what she did to bring it all together, th- I think she was very deserving of it. And th- that's always fun to see in the awards. You know, sometimes movies get nominated for everything and you think, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but what were they really good at? Like, this yeah. was the movie yeah. that crushed at X or Y, you know? And I think that her role as a director is what really elevated this film. I 100% agree with that. I mean, I think she is deserving of the best director award even though i don't think it's the best movie i saw i think her direction is what makes that movie sing so that's a great point joe um let's conclude uh talk about the golden globes with an open-ended question did you have any particularly favorite moments you know was it the host was it highlights was it another speech anything that you particularly loved and joe i'm gonna let you go first i jane fonda was my favorite part of the award ceremony she was um she won the Cecil B. DeMille Award for it was it's like it's a lifetime achievement award that's given out uh, for the Golden Globes and she's someone I really like as an actress but really didn't know that much about and hearing a little bit more about her life and all of the activism that she did sort of how that's how she got into her into the aerobics I think of you know her back in I don't even know the 80s when with the leg warmers and you know that all that 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 she did that in order to raise money for advocacy for people. And there's so many interesting things that I just didn't know about her. And I thought she gave a really compelling speech that about just people coming together, you know, to work on hard things. And I, I found it uh, really inspiring. I agree with that completely. That was a, that was a highlight for me as well. Um, Real quick. I'll note the thing that I liked that I was surprised how much I enjoyed more and more as I watched the show was all the all the people at home, like all the <laughs> nominees at home and seeing them curled up oftentimes on the couch with their loved ones, their family. Regina King's dog entered the frame while she was, you know, <laughs> she was on screen. I mean, I really there was something about that that felt, I don't know, a little bit more human than seeing everyone like done up to the nines, um, you know, in the ballroom and making pleasantries at their at their tables. You know, and I actually really appreciate that some people like got dressed up. Like some people totally like yeah. did still get dressed just for the fun of it. But I didn't think it was because they felt like they had to. There were plenty of people who didn't do that either and i thought that was kind of fun as well um chris what did you think yeah jodie foster's dog also made an appearance yeah, yeah. Sitting which on I thought was cool. like i thought that stuff was cool yeah yeah i i, I completely agree um yeah i, I guess to, to step out of the movie stuff for, for a bit the things i was most excited about was seeing shit's creek get you know more recognition heaped upon it in its last year of of eligibility i just deeply love that show i also love ted lasso ted lasso is yeah. one of my my favorite series that i've watched you know in the last in the last decade it's, it's way up there and you know jason sudeikis has accepted speak speaking of people who were dressed to the nines he definitely was not in his uh tie-dye hoodie, <laughs> hoodie. That was awesome. uh, <laughs> Actually, i love that. yeah he was just kind of 
hanging out by himself. He seemed like maybe he was a couple of drinks deep and uh, just sort just sort of feeling it a little bit. Uh, but you know, he's somebody who who captures the mood of the moment. I think I think right now, but uh, who nevertheless manages to make uh, incredible award winning uh, comic material, which you know that's a little harder to relate to, but that, that's pretty it's great impressive. too. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that concludes our discussion about the Golden Globes, but we did want to finish out our show with at least some conversation of movie news that's in the title. So we're bringing you back two fan favorite segments. First, a very condensed small casting competition challenge. Um, We have learned that New Line Cinema is going to attempt a remake of The Wizard of Oz. So we're not going to talk about what we think about this project right now, but I am going to ask each of you to give me one person for one role you think would be dynamite casting. Jill, why don't you go first? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna choose to cast Galinda, um, okay. and I would like for her to be played by Aquafina. Okay, I like that. Um, I ah. I really like her sense of humor, and she is just one of those people that radiates uh, warmth and funny on the screen. And I think that that would just bring something that felt really fresh and new to this project. That's you know that maybe needs a little bit of like shaken up after all these years <laughs> i like that a lot and i will say i just saw aquafina in a in a in something i saw her in raya and the last dragon it's not out yet but it's a new disney film where she voices the last dragon and she's great as a as a voice actress i mean she's great at everything but i think she did a really particular good job here where i didn't hear aquafina but i sort of felt her energy if that makes sense so i think it's an awesome pick and i see how you put that together um, it's funny that after I wrote this down, I had an instant thought and it never left me. And it was, I want to cast the Tin Man and I want to cast Doug Jones as the, as the Tin Man. <laughs> and like for those of you who don't know, you've all seen Doug Jones, maybe not seen his actual face, but he is Saru on Star Trek Discovery. He mm-hmm. was the creature in uh, Shape of Water. He was um, Abe Sapien in um, the Hellboy movies. I mean, and he's, he's this wonderfully tall gangly man and maybe one of the nicest personalities on the planet so i feel like it would be kind of cool to have this really tall robotic person embodying the tim man who is naturally affable but playing the character that quote unquote has no heart there's something about (laughs) that that i think would just be so fun and i think he would bring a sense of um you know gravitas in his own weird way to that role that would be really compelling to me to see him take on that story um using his wonderful movements and his wonderful skills as an actor um chris who's your pitch did before you move on did anyone else hear the episode of wait wait don't tell me if you to plug another podcast a few weeks ago that um, inspired that with him hosting he talks about how he got his start as a mime which mm-hmm. the really? way he moves his body on screen and plays all of these uh, characters, especially in like all this makeup, you totally yeah. get why he's so good at that and also why he would be so good at the Tin Man. Yeah, that's wild. His I think the first thing I remember seeing him in was as the uh, the weird creature from Pan's Labyrinth with mm-hmm. the yeah. eyeballs mm-hmm. in its hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but I can totally see how a mime would really rock that role and, and <laughs> role similar. That's wild. Uh, well, I thought about Lin-Manuel Miranda for, for Scarecrow, but I think at the end of the day, <laughs> I had to go with 
there's only one pick that to me is an absolute lock and that if, if you don't get it then don't even bother with the, with the project and and for me that's that's the wicked witch of the west who in my mind should only be played by Adina Menzel because uh, <laughs> Adina Menzel you know originated before she was an ice queen in Frozen she originated the role of Elphaba in Wicked on Broadway uh, and Elphaba is that young sorceress who ends up becoming the Wicked Witch of the West. And it would be an incredible through line uh, and pretty wild to see her now, you know, umpteen years later in this, uh, you know, older, <laughs> uh, more uh, angry uh, <laughs> role. Uh, it would be a really cool, fun thing just to see happen. I don't know that it will. I'm sure there are contacts probably involved, but it would be a lot. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That would be awesome. I will say that this was... The- you know, when I was when I was thinking through this, I had vague recollections of having had a similar conversation before, and so I looked it up. And actually, Adina Menzel for the Wicked Witch of the of the West was the exact same casting suggestion that I made when we had a similar discussion, totally out of the blue, eight years ago on the podcast. Oh my gosh. exactly three hundred episodes ago in episode oh. eighty. Oh my god! We did a little bit of a, a little bit of a casting challenge. Uh, Jeez, Almighty. That's hilarious. People want to go back into the archives and, and dig that one up. That's, That's hilarious. Funny. That's awesome. All right. Yeah. I love it. Let's move on, though. Uh, this next segment is quick and easy. It's called Thumbs Up, Thumbs Down. And listeners who have been with us for a while, maybe you were on episode 80, uh, <laughs> may remember this, but it's very simple. We present a happening, and we oversimplify it by reducing it to a binary evaluation. So <laughs> the title of the third and presumptive final Spider-Man MCU film has been revealed, and it is Spider-Man colon No Way Home. Chris, thumbs up or down on the title? It's a thumbs up for me. I really like it. I mean, they probably couldn't use the the title "You Can't Go Home Again" because I think that's both too long and already a, a Tom Wolf novel. Uh, but I think it, it conveys that sense of you know everything has changed. Um, you know the, the old saying, "You can't go home again" because you know even if even if you do, you've changed. Your home has changed, and it's not that home that you remember mm. in your head. And I think for 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 Spider-Man or Peter Parker he's on a similar trajectory right he's seen so much of the world and so many wonders now that to go back and be that sort of street level neighborhood Spider-Man it just can't possibly feel the same and and, and especially now when we're talking about doing a you know a, a giant world turned topsy turvy multiverse story right where he's seeing himself in every variation uh, and through all these different movie universes <laughs> and other things, um, I think he's going to be just completely changed by the, by the experience. Um, and so I like what the, I like what the title is laying down. It does carry through that home theme from far from home and homecoming so that, you know, uh, it ties into the trilogy that way, but I- I'm really looking forward to it. So I think it's gonna be a blast and I like the title. You know, I, I appreciate you made a really good pitch there, Chris, because I will say for some reason, I, I don't love the title, and I can't even articulate exactly why. I don't know if I just don't think it's clever enough. I don't know if it feels forced. However, I don't know the plot, so I'm not sure yeah. how representative <laughs> it is of that. But it felt, it just felt like I was like, I know why you're doing this because you did the home thing in the first two. two but like, I loved, I loved the homecoming uh, subtitle. I thought that was so clever on so many yeah. different ways. Far from home, we're like, oh, okay. I mean, I, I, I guess so. And now I feel like that joke has been pulled a little bit too thin uh, for mm-hmm. some reason. Um, it's funny. I actually prefer any of the fake titles the cast revealed, and those were, ah. these were 
following this. Spider-Man phone home. Uh, Spider-Man <laughs> home slice. And this is my favorite because it's so ridiculous, but Spider-Man home wrecker. Um, like almost all of those sound like I think I'm missing that double that double meaning. I mean, maybe it's there, but homecoming had it worked on multiple levels. And I don't know that Far From Home did that as well, and I don't know if this one will either. So that's the only reason why. I don't have a better title, but that, that's sort of why I think the joke may have run its course a little bit. Jill, which way are you leaning? I, I really like it, although it's interesting because, I, I mean, I read that in such a literal way, which is probably not how they mean it. You know, I mean, it, and I think that's the thing that makes it interesting. I would, I would maybe argue, Fox, that you can read this in several different ways. Because I, it, to I me, so. I think you can't go, you can't physically return home. And when we're talking about all of the, you know, opening up multiverses and you know being trapped in other dimensions, like that, to me, seems like they're they're giving away something obvious. But you're right, Chris. It's probably not that obvious. There's probably some you know, metaphorical underpinning that makes this way more interesting. But either way, it has got me thinking about the movie and talking about it, I mean, which it's... I feel like is, you know, the thing that it needs to accomplish. All right. Well, you may be totally right, Jill. I mean, it, this may be actually a, a quite literal meaning because, you know, when when Homecoming got its subtitle, it, it was a double entendre because, of course, the character was coming back to Marvel after having lived in, in the mm-hmm. Sony world marvel disney after being trapped in sony for for so long Uh, but you know marvel and sony have not really fully resolved this dispute and disney has not been able to unequivocally get spider-man on the permanent this this this, this may be an acknowledgement that like actually guys we we don't have spider-man anymore he is not coming home we are so sorry there is no way for us to get him that's kind of ballsy if that's the case yeah that's all right all right i that would make me... He's forever trapped in the multiverse because we can't use him in our movies. That's Sorry. That's kind of fascinating. I mean, that's the thing. It can mean so many yeah, different maybe. things. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Well, you've, you've, you've turned me into a mild believer. I'm not quite at the... <laughs> I'm not at the true <laughs> believer stage that Stan Lee would like me to be at, but I'm at the <laughs> mild believer stage. Um, all right. <laughs> that is it for movie news. And now it's time for trivia brought to both of us by Jill. All right. Well... Tonight's trivia is going to be a potpourri of questions about our Golden Globe nominees. All right. right. Well, now nominees and and winners. So um, each question is about a different movie. So um, question one, Judas and the Black Messiah, which had two nominations and one win last night, was based on the life of Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. Fred Hampton was portrayed in another of our Golden Globe nominees this year. Points for naming the movie and bonus points for naming the other actor who portrayed them in the, in the other movie this year. The other movie is it, it, The Trial, trial of Chicago, Chicago 7. Uh-huh. Um, the actor who... It wasn't Yaya. He, he was somebody else. Yep. He was the person who was actually on trial and he was being get, get getting advice from Fred Hampton. I can picture, but I don't know who the actor was. His name is Kelvin Harrison Jr. And I I think he hasn't been in a ton of stuff, um, but certainly he got a claim for this. He was in uh, Luca. He was in Monsters and Men. So Um, I just thought it was so interesting that the same historical figure was in two different movies that were both nominated for awards in the same year. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny. All right. Question number two. Eddie Redmayne and Sasha Barra Cohen star together in the trial of of the Chicago 7, five nominations and one win. (laughs) The last time they were on the big screen together was in 2012 in another impressive ensemble cast. What was that movie? Hugo. Nope. No? 
was um was Eddie Redman in the uh, Demon Barber of Fleet Street, uh, Sweeney Todd? No, but it was another musical. Oh, interesting. Uh, oh, well, Miserable. They Miserable. Uh-huh. Yeah, oh my uh-huh. gosh, they miss. Yeah. Uh huh. Jeez. One of my personal complaints about The Prom, which was nominated for two Golden Globes, um, is that it felt like they handled some of the issues they were tackling in a little bit of a dated way. I don't know what your opinions were about that, but it. I thought this. I, I sort of had an opinion leaving the movie about when the musical came out. And so I thought that would be an interesting piece of trivia. When did the original Broadway production of The Prom officially open? Interesting. Uh, not old enough. Um, I'll say 20, 2014. Taking a total guess here. I have no idea. I'm thinking maybe like 2017, 2018. Yeah, November 15, 2018. Yeah. Yep. Nice. All right, last question. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which had two nominations for acting, uh, Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman, who won, incidentally, as we talked about before, um, was based on a play by whom? And there'll be some bonus questions about that. August Wilson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So Denzel Washington announced, I think in 2015, that he was going to try and bring all 10 of August Wilson's Century Cycle plays, either to the big or the small screen. I... Not having read a lot of August Wilson, had to look up what Century Cycle was. But basically, he wrote he wrote all these plays to sort of demonstrate um, how how culture changed over the course of the whole century. So, hmm. like one of the movies is takes place in 1904, and then Ma Rainey takes place in 1927, and uh, then see, the next yeah. one takes place in 1936. So that's where you oh. get the Century Cycle. Okay. So, does anyone know which one? He, has already been made. This is Denzel. Um, My Rainey's Black Bottom was his second one. So the first yeah. one was Fences. Fences. Fences, right? Which he wrote or he directed rather and starred in. Who knows what the next one is? I do not know. Because it's in pre production now. They announced it uh, last year. I don't know. It's called The Piano Lesson. Cool. So our number movie number three will be treated to as a part of this cycle. Um, takes place in 1936 in the aftermath of the Great Depression. And it's it follows this family's arguments over the fate of their piano. Um, huh. And it's sort of this item that symbolizes like history for them and their, a little bit their ancestral legacy. And um, it sounds really interesting. So yeah. um, something to look forward to. Very cool. All right. I love it. Those are great trivia questions. But that is it for this week's show. Listeners, we love hearing from you. If you have a question or comment, find us on social media. T- Tell us what you're thinking. We'll try to get back to you as soon as possible. A special thanks, as always, to LRM Online, The Front Porch, Anna Vogelzang, and the 440 Alliance. We encourage you to subscribe to the Geek Scholars Movie News Podcast through the LRM Online Podcast channel, which you can find on Apple Podcasts. While you're there, don't forget to give us a review. Until next time, this is Fox. And Jill. And Chris saying the same thing I said 300 episodes ago. <laughs> Be gone before someone drops a house on you. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Take it easy. I'm going to stop. Do you, do you want to hear uh, before we stop? Did you stop already? No. No. Go for it. Okay. Do you want to hear what people's suggestions were I, from yeah, the last time? I would love did? to. Yeah, I have sure. no idea. You, I, I, <laughs> uh, I'll skip Dorothy because all of our Dorothy suggestions are like 35 now because <laughs> it's been so long. Uh, Scarecrow. I said Tom Hiddleston, which I stand by. I still think that's, that's good. Oh, yep. that's a good call. Uh, Fox was all hung up on the Scarecrow being a hunk for some reason. Warren was giving him a lot of crap about that. 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, I think Fox really? said. Really? That's... Uh, oh, I'm... Jill said Justin Timberlake because you think he needs to sing uh, effectively. Hmm? That's, that's pretty good. Uh, for Wicked Witch of the West, Fox said Sofia Vergara for some reason. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. I'll stick with that. Uh, Jill said Angelica Houston, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was cool. That was good. Super yeah. fun. All right. Have a good time until we talk to you next, everybody. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Bye. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 